Hey everyone, Manips and Sips podcast here featuring Dr. Jeremy Boyd and myself, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be discussing what it means to be a primary provider for musculoskeletal pathology. Uh, this is definitely a, a topic I feel strongly about. Jeremy, uh, what are your thoughts on on this this topic that we're about to embark on? Yeah, I'm very passionate about this. This is something I've been exposed to. Uh, I got blessed with on my first uh, clinical fill, which had some direct access, a portion of it. Uh, my personal clinic, uh, Trifecta Therapeutics, uh, were mostly direct access. So, um, And then I do a lot of sports venue coverage. So I'm the first person people see when they just hurt themselves. So something I believe we need to push out more. We, I believe we have the skill. Uh, we have the time compared to uh, other healthcare professionals as well to truly do a thorough evaluation. Uh, so it's something that I, I really think uh, would be a good discussion. And uh, I hope to see in years to come that we uh, we continue to become the the primary healthcare provider for musculoskeletal issues. And uh, what about you, Brandon? Yeah, like you, one of my first affiliations when I was a student was very big on presenting ourselves as doctors uh if you're an intern you're a doctor or intern so that was kind of like one of the first things that kind of resonated with me and has stuck with me since my uh i began my career also you know going through our residency which i know we we talk about a lot um but i i think we talk about it because it, it made such a profound impact on our not only professional lives but you know personal lives as well but we were we had the opportunity to be taught by three fellows in the uh, the American Academy of Orthopedic Manual Therapy, which really they take differential diagnosis and being able to perform a, a really, I guess, thorough evaluation and how to co- handle complex cases that that becomes or you become a, a true primary care physician um, and hopefully uh, the direct uh, point of uh, access for a lot of patients where then you can delegate and determine somebody or help determine somebody's plan, plan of care, whether they just need PT, they can self-manage or they need to go see uh, another provider. And I know I'm just going to touch in on the, the APTA's vision 2020. I know that was huge when I was in school that, that mm-hmm. was kind of forced down our, our, uh, our throats and, I would say as a profession, we definitely whiffed and missed that one completely. So hopefully in the next uh, 20 years, we can really own that uh, vision that has now changed to, honestly, I can't even tell you what it changed to now. Um, I did at one point, but whatever. And um, well, it was, you know, being able to, to hold that, that, um, that distinction, that, that, that primary care role. And I have some examples I'm, I'm going to dive into to with that. But I, I think we, we definitely missed on that, and our profession has to do a better job with it. And I think with this new wave coming out of, of therapists, that everyone's kind of – the entrepreneur spirit's back. People are tired of, of dealing with, I guess, the insurance and, and the insurance side of things as well as the high clinic demands. A lot of clinicians are going out on their own, which is great, but you need to have that, that skill set and mindset to, uh, to be able to do that. So I know you and I have gone out on our own, um, 
and have really taken that role on. And you said you do a lot of sports venue coverage. I mean, you have your, your SCS, your, your uh, sports clinical search. So what is, uh, if you just want to touch upon that and what, what that has been able to provide you as a primary care provider as well? Yeah, it's in regards to, to the SCS, I mean, the training that goes with that, the being with the mentor, that's SCS, oh, which was you there, Brandon, um, by going through all that training and stuff to be able to triage someone right there and then uh, to thankfully not, not too many issues in my sports venue coverage. Uh, we've had like some ACL tears uh, that happened in front of me and those sort of things, but most of it, you know, we'll do like crossfit competitions or basketball tourneys and you have to be able to within a couple minutes between either, uh, you know, like a wad or a workout um, in between heats or waves or between, you know, like I'll do a basketball tournament and these kids are playing three games, uh, you know, back to back to back. You have about 15 minutes, uh, especially if you have a line of kids with you to be able to differentially diagnose uh, what's going on, uh, figure out what, what you can do. And within those 15 minutes, give them a, uh, a meaningful improvement. Uh, so if it wasn't for that training and, you know, PT school is amazing. It's great. It gives you all the well-rounded skills to, you know, be able to, you know, treat some people, but it's not designed to make you be able to treat on spot, fix someone right there and then, and get them going to have a improved performance. So if it wasn't for those type of trains, especially with the SCS, and I would say even with the OCS, I think that was uh, uh, the residency training with that was probably the most impactful on modulating things right there and then, but also doing a thorough job of screening things out, um, using those Ottawa ankle and knee rules, um, you know, spinal cord injuries, those sort of things to say, all right, well, this is more serious than, than what we think it, what you think it is. I need to make sure I'm doing my due diligence. I'm not putting you in harm's way. I'm not risking my, my license on a line that worked so hard for, um, and send them off their own way. So definitely, definitely something, uh, uh, those additional, additional trainings to make it more confident. And then the people do view people like you can hear people in these tournaments or things like that. Oh, you need to see this guy. He he knows what he's talking about. So, I don't think I would have had that just purely off experience alone, or would need would have even been given the opportunity for those sort of things. Uh, Brian, what's your experience? I know you do some things. I know you do some tournaments um, as well. Yeah, and, uh, I do a lot of a lot of tournaments. Uh, a lot of that, you know, you have to maintain your board certification, so you kind of fulfill you kill two birds with one stone, but. You touched upon using Ottawa ankle rules and, and the knee rules and, and things like that. And I kind of want to even take it a, a step further than that. Uh, and as, uh, as you're talking about entry-level PT school, you know, I was always taught, I guess, or it was always quoted in, in PT school that PTs are, are jack-of-all-trades. They're good at everything but not great at anything, which I don't like. Um, I think we need to be great at a lot of things. Um, you know, and it takes time to harness that skill set. And some of this stuff might be, uh, I'm looking at some of the IFOM, so the International Federation of uh, Orthopedic Manual Therapy Standards. And while it's something that they value, or this is the criteria, I mean, a lot of this stuff 
really just is you as a, a therapist. I mean, some of the goals that they have here, the criteria is becoming expert clinician, uh, clinically, uh, clinical decision maker, expert at, in, in that realm. I mean, that should be the goal regardless whether you're a fellow or not. I mean, you just have to do a good job. Uh, you know, be an expert communicator. Be very good at communicating to patients, to patients' families, to, you know, other prof- healthcare professionals that you may have to be working with. You know, being a great collaborator, uh, collaborator or uh, leader and manager. And what I want to focus on is that first one, being an expert clinician and communicator, the first two, and being a, a advocator, a health advocator, and really um, move this profession forward. So like, I was talking about taking a step de- deeper. Like, what about those tricky cases or those frustrating cases where you're like, you're trying a bunch of different things and that person's just not getting better and you get frustrated. So you just refer the person out or the person who comes in with, you know, a, a fracture, a humoral fracture. They, they've been to a primary care position. Maybe you don't necessarily agree with what they're doing and you just want to refer them to another orthopedist. And I have some examples I, I want to go into. Um, but I always like to ask the question, you know, the what would Jesus do bracelets, right? Mm-hmm. You know, what What would is twofold. What would you do? What, what can you as a clinician do to help this patient? And then before you refer people out, and, and I'm not talking about business here, you know, I, I get, you know, uh, you have to refer out for to build relationships and, you know, just even the right thing to do. Sometimes you have to refer out. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, is referring out really the best interest in the of the patient and asking, all right, if I refer this patient out to someone, let's say an orthopedist, what are they going to do? You know, what are their mm-hmm. uh, what's in their toolbox? So it's also knowing other people's professions. Uh, and if you have a great, a good relationship or a great relationship with, uh, with an orthopedist, you know, shadow them, talk to them, ask them what they do for different cases, because now that's something when you want to refer out, be like, all right, I know this is what this guy's going to do. He's either going to, um, set him for an MRI or an X-ray, or he's going to suggest surgery or, you know, he or she's going to say, um, let's do an injection or we're going to give you a bout of medication NSAIDs, steroids, whatever the case may be. And now you have some insight on what they're going to do. And is, is that in the best interest of the patient? Uh, do you agree with that, Jer? or disagree? Or where, where do you stand on, on that, that front? Yeah, absolutely. And it's all about also like timing of your referrals, you know, if you're doing it and you may have a complex patient, but still someone that you believe you can help or you're making gains, um, it's better to like treat them and make, all right, you know, why don't you plan for an appointment? It's not life threatening or anything. Why don't you plan for an appointment in a couple of weeks? And that way you can make some gains. And that way, if they do elect to still continue to go to the orthopedist or anybody like that, then you have maybe two weeks built up. Oh, you know, the patient goes in, you know, I'm going to PT. They referred me. Things are getting better, but they wanted to have like a second pair of eyes on things. And then hopefully with that, and I've had that some sort of situation similar to that where they're going, all right, I've been continue PT. You know, we checked everything. 
or maybe I'll give you some sort of medication or something to calm down to facilitate the rehab process versus coming, being someone, it looks complex or scary or something like that. And you refer right away and that patient's going into surgery the next day. Uh, we had a client, um, we just did a post on it. He had a massive herniation, um, at L4, L5, but he was seen by somebody. Uh, I think his general practitioner, we were seeing him. He was doing real, he was getting better, had like a setback. Um, we're, we're getting him back going, but you could tell, you know, he's, he was an active person who's removed from what he wanted to do. Um, so I was just like, all right, why don't you go? We just get another second eyes on it. Uh, we were still making gains, referred him, and the doctor got an MRI. We saw this massive herniation, which you'd think most back surgeons would be like, all right, let's let's take that bad boy out. He's like, no, we're not going to touch you. You're doing fine enough. Go back to rehab. Fix him. And he, he I just went out for a beer with him yesterday, actually. Um, and uh, he's been 15, 16 weeks absolutely pain-free. After he came back, we finished up everything. Um, so it's a really matter of timing, um, with things. And so I believe as, you know, if you are a direct access, you know, profession, you know, we have to have the skills to make that impact to know or when to make that referral out. Um, cause it can make a, it can change people's entire life. Uh, there's plenty of things where just people who, the, who just get an MRI first before low back pain, uh, for low back pain before they start PT versus PT, people who have PT first. Uh, those people with MRIs tend to, uh, tend to do have worse outcomes. So yep. we should be the ones that see them first and it should be our, our determination. Uh, the military army model has been doing that where PTs are the, are essentially the primary practitioners and they make that decision. Um, so I hope that kind of carries over into civilian life over the years. Yeah. I think, um, what you were talking about, you know, one health advocacy, but two helping that patient navigate through the healthcare system, which I'm sad to say in America, I don't know about other countries, but in America, uh, isn't. I don't know, isn't the cleanest, I guess. There's um, there's so many different facets in there. And uh, at least in, in our region, you got you got to figure money factors into uh, some of the surgeons' decisions. You know, but mm-hmm. plus not only that, it's, um, you know, they're, they have one set of lens that they look through. You know, they're, they were trained in one thing. Of course, they're going to use it. It's our ability to be able to communicate and collaborate with the patient forget you know multidisciplinary and working with other uh other medical providers collaborate with the patient make it a patient-centered care where you lay things out hopefully in a non-biased way hey you have x y and z going on or you have the potential of X, Y, and Z, you know, if you get a, a, an X-ray or an MRI, you're probably going to show up with this. Here are the things I can do for you. You know, it's probably going to take a little more time. We can send you out. I have no problem sending you out. Here's the things that you're probably going to most likely hear from an orthopedist. 
option, you know, A, surgery, or option B is, a, you know, an injection or, or medication. Uh, and then, you know, once you lay them out in hopefully a non-biased way, let the patient kind of make that decision. A lot of times when they hear surgery or medication, you know, they tend to want to not go those routes. And they'll be at least willing, and you were upfront with them, be at least willing to say, all right, let's give this a, a fair shot before you go out. Uh, don't get me wrong. There's those patients who they want that MRI because they feel that's an image and, and they, they feel like that's going to give them the answer. And, and, you know, maybe that's something you, you say, okay, give them the image. Maybe that gives you peace of mind. But also being able to perform a correct difference diagnosis to say, actually, I had a, a high school girl the other day who, who's freaking out about having, um, you know, a torn meniscus. I, I did my meniscal testing. You know, she had no no trauma to her knee, and she this was a couple years of, of high school sports that had taken a toll on her knee. I was like, you don't have a meniscal tear. You have Wachstein's I'm going to send you to this doctor. You just have inflammation. And that MRI showed she just had some inflammation, and that – one gave her peace of mind, but two, the light that shed on me that I was able to differentially diagnose, communicate with her effectively what you have going on. It was then confirmed by the MRI. So it's like I have MRI eyes without, you know, without the cost and that buy-in that was created. Now she's back in, and we're rehabbing her. So, you know, I think that's a, a, an example of being able to, be a primary care provider, perform a correct different diagnosis, have confidence in what you're doing, have the network where you can refer out and have that conversation of all the options of what you can do for them and what a surgeon is going to do for them and, and go from there. Yeah, you hit a nail on the head. And I think you doing that with that client and even though they had to go and get the MRI, now you are forever, you know, the king to her where you figured it out without the need of an MRI. Uh, you were right. You gave her confidence and those sort of things. And, you know, hopefully down her whole like career of playing sports and stuff, you know, she's probably going to come back to you for any aches or pains, but um, you know, anything that, you know, for, you know, friends of hers and those sort of things. So buying patients for life essentially. Uh, but, you know, let's talk about, um, you know, maybe some pitfalls of why we're not seeing more direct access, um, you know, maybe why clinicians aren't choosing to do it. I know there's some companies around me um, that refuse to, to allow their clinicians to do it. Um, in New Jersey, you're allowed to do it within 30 days. You have to notify uh, some sort of physician of some sorts or doctor. Um, but the neighboring states, I believe PA and New York, you have to have a couple of years under your belt so you can still do it, but you have to be experienced and maybe take some courses on it. But there are certain clinics around that refuse to allow it. So, um, Brian, you have any insight on maybe some things like that? Yeah, I think that has some, a lot of tentacles to it and we're probably going to go down a couple different bunny trails. I mean, first of all, in New Jersey, you're allowed to see somebody for 30 days unless they're showing improvement. You, to my understanding, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, if they're showing improvement, you can see them longer. Other than Medicare, Medicare is different. You need to script mm -hmm. for them. But if they're not showing improvement, then you have to refer them out. Am I uh, am I mistaken on that one? 
No, that's that's kind of how I I right. phrase in those sort of things, and I'll tell you, I'll tell them and listen. You know, we're making improvement. Yeah, sometimes more more complex cases cases beyond thirty days. Uh, if they're still making improvement, I was like, hey, if you at this point want to go get you know some additional uh, evaluation by all means, um, but as long as they're still making improvement, and I would feel antsy if if it, if they weren't making improvement in 30 days and probably made a referral at that point, but if they're making improvement, I'm going for it. Yeah. Uh, fail to thrive, obviously. But uh, mm-hmm. another thing is it says refer out to a medical provider. I don't think it specifies a physician. So if you're in a clinic with another therapist, technically, couldn't you refer to your, your colleague? Oh, I, I suppose so. I didn't. I mean, they, I, I used I'm, to. I'm touching on some gray areas here, and yeah. people might not like it or agree. But if you know, <laughs> if that's the way it's written, you know that that's that. Also, how long ago was this shit written anyway? I mean, our profession has greatly evolved over you know the past 15 years anyway. Let alone you know when this stuff was written. You know, we're now a doctor profession. I, I think that the nice part about PTs, I guess, years ago when it was a bachelor's and, and master's was, you know, we weren't as autonomous or we didn't have that autonomy in our practice the way it is today. You know, and it absolved people. I think people liked it or initially got into it because they were in the healthcare realm, but they, they didn't have all the autonomy and risk that comes along with it. But now we're a doctor profession and... You know, that means something. And I know uh, students come out now and, you know, chin held high and chest held high, rightfully so, to some degree. I'm a doctor. And you have, you know, some therapists out there like bashing CEUs and advanced training and all that other shit because they're a doctor now. All right, fine, you're a doctor, but you have to be able to, I guess, um, understand or be willing to accept the risk that comes with it. So if you're relying on only entry-level training to become a, a primary musculoskeletal expert, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I personally, I think you need a little bit more training with that. But, you know, I, I'm digressing w- with that. W- what are your thoughts, Cher? Yeah, so I uh, absolutely I agree with that. Um, I mean, again, I was with what you're saying that is made so many years ago. Uh, we have um, Childs, Whitman, and Delito um, produced an article, um, a couple in 2005, uh, describing the uh, a PT's knowledge in managing musculoskeletal conditions, and we were just behind, you know, ortho- or uh, orthopedist. Uh, we beat out all the other professions, so it's you know. It's orthopedists first, uh, PTs with their OCS or SCS were second, and then third was PTs without anything. And there is a jump between the the no OCS and the SCS group uh, compared to the ones that have it. And that doesn't include fellows or anything like that. Uh, and then, again, that's 2005. Since things have happened since 2005, that's right when we're starting to get into the cusp of becoming um, – a doctoral profession I and mean, that's almost again 15 years ago we've we've evolved with our responsibilities and everything like that so i agree i mean compare i look at my 
you know, entry level students and everything like that is, yeah, they are, they have to be kind of guided a little bit more and yeah, experience, you know, gives you some of that, but you know, you're missing some red flags. You're missing some little things here and there, ability to make an impact there, having a firm diagnosis. I kind of viewed things when I came out was, you know, if the, I can't, I believe that's kind of the fellow mentality is by the time you're done with your subjective interview is that you have a primary hypothesis, a secondary and a tertiary. And I kind of view things as like, all right, well, when you're entry level and those sort of things, you should have your primary be like 60% chance that's exist. And your secondary should be about, you know, you know, 20 or 30% chance of that. And the last 10% would be that tertiary be kind of a oddball thing. But, you know, that, that's, that kind of gives a lot of leeway of, you know, things. And it's just not detailed enough following training, mentorship, residency. I believe obviously we're a little bit more biased. It's almost 90%, you know, 90, 95% is that primary thing. Every once in a while you do get something that's a secondary or tertiary, but, um, you know, it's having that confidence, having that skill set, learning those tests and measures, uh, the real ones, not just shooting off a million of those just to kind of chew up time and not confirm anything. But, yeah, I think I, I do kind of see this, you know, model you see in some schools and stuff like that where even certain schools, DPT programs are emphasizing uh, more of a muscular scale and then start to transition their students off to residency. It's something I see in the future of the profession. And again, and not in a bad way to like, oh, rack up costs or anything. It's to advance this profession so that hopefully we are kind of a passive profession that just kind of hangs out in the shadows here. We should, we should be one of the top players in the game. And uh, I think that's going to come with being more trained, being more confident, you know, making the right decisions, not making the bad ones or, you know, missing red flags and potentially harming clients. So yeah, that's my opinion on all that. Yeah. And to circle back to a question you had on my, my thoughts to why we're not as much of a primary care, I, I hope and think this is going to change in the next 10, 15 years with the therapist coming out now, because they, they seem to, you know, be having that drive, one, that entrepreneurial spirit, and two, that drive that uh, being a doctor means something, which it does. And I want, you know, hopefully they can continue uh, to take the baton and run from it. But, you know, there, there's what we've, we've talked about it before is about 10% of uh, the population um, that with musculoskeletal pathologies that are, are being treated for it. And the other 90% uh, are being treated by physical therapists for it. And another 90% are not utilizing us as services. So, you know, it, it's on us to go out there and educate the consumers. Um, and I think that's where our profession is going to be going towards more is consumerism where mm-hmm. people are going to be looking for, um, you know, quality therapists and quality treatment as insurance deductibles become higher and insurances pay for less and PTs get tired of working at mills where they're seeing four, five, six people an hour and patients are tired of going to places that, you know, they're being passed off and things. I think that's a matter of time before that all balances out. So I think one hand definitely feeds it in terms of that that aspect there uh and then also we're, we're in america i mean big farmer runs most of everything and mm-hmm. 
there's still the notion that people's primary care physicians or their orthopedists is where to go for musculoskeletal injuries. And, and we need to educate the public that we're a better viable option for people, uh, or at least better in certain circumstances. I don't, I don't want to discredit, you know, uh, surgeons as they obviously have their place, but we have our place as well. And we need to not forget that we have our place. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people in regards to that, again, we're, tr- we are, we are all part of a team um, with, you know, with your primary, with your, you know, your orthopedist or something like that. It doesn't hurt to have a two week like booster trial session before you go exploring anything else, you know, be amazed what you can do with two weeks, how many surgeries you can prevent, how many non like not necessary, you know, other interventions, whether it be pain meds and starting to go down that unfortunate route of, you know, you know, there is a pain uh, opioid epidemic in United States. uh, And you can, you never know who you can get that maybe takes only a couple pills before they start going down that route and to heroin to other things. We won't get into that topic, but, you know, doing these sort of things where you can kind of make a huge impact, but they have to get to you first. So we need to do be be more confident in our skills advocate it more you know really i always look for that in my students is that you know they're advocating you know this direct access mentality to everyone um, we need to do a better job of doing that and in a way that's not we're a threat to you know people that we should be working with athletic trainers you know others you know orthos those sort of things but um yeah, I really hope that that's something that we can uh, tie all together. I know probably after 2020, but maybe we'll have a 2025 goal. Yeah, and I want to use an example of, you know, you're saying, and we, we've talked about being confident in what we do. And it also goes to understanding, uh, I guess, understanding timelines, healing timelines, mechanisms at play. Uh, and I was talking about earlier, what would, what would Jesus do? You know, what, 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 a an orthopedist do, or what is me referring out going to do for this patient? And I had a patient in my clinic the other day, my other therapist was seeing, and this lady, older lady, uh, I believe she's in her early eighties, I believe had a, a humoral fracture, uh, humoral, uh, I guess at, at the neckline, but it, uh, to my knowledge, to our knowledge, it was not a complete fracture. Uh, so she was in a sling for about six weeks, and she goes to the doctor, her prim- her uh, sports med doctor. He takes away the sling, doesn't even tell her not to use it, just takes it away. My therapist is, is treating her. She's progressing, but he notices a little bit of a, a sulcus sign there on her left side. So he feels he needs to send her out. And, uh, well, I'm like, well, one, have you talked to the, the, her primary care physician or not primary care, her sports med, but the primary physician in this case. And did you have a chance to try and ask him what his rationale is to get some insight that that's step one. Mm-hmm. Two is what is, what is sending her to an orthopedist going to do or surgeon, another one, um, you know, one, we don't want to ruin the the referral relationship that we have built with this one sports med doc who referred to us, you know, why are we going to take his patient and refer him somewhere else? That's one. Two, what, what is, 
us sending him out or sending her out going to do? Let, what? And I asked him, I was like, what management is going to happen? I'm like, if it's a humor head fracture and it's not healed, there's, there's, there's certain, first of all, it's only been six weeks. So bone, you're looking at six to eight weeks to heal anyway. Mm-hmm. She's older. So let's push that time. Well, let's double it. Basically, we're probably at the eight to 10 or 12 week mark for that to really heal on an older lady. So, you know, what is he going to do? Are we going to do surgery on an 81-year-old? Probably not, okay? Does she have a lot of pain? The patient didn't really have a lot of pain. So what is, she gonna, what is he going to do management-wise? I don't see an injection being a real viable option or, you know, some type of medication. She's doing okay. And I was like, the third is getting a sling back on her. You know, what, what are they going to do? And, you know, the other therapist sat on it. It was like, yeah, you're right. So we went over together basically laid out all these options for for the patient hey why were you taken out you know we asked her basically does she feel like she needs a sling is it bothering her she was progressing well she has range of motion to about 90 degrees 100 degrees uh already so basically she's just like i just want it sometimes when i'm doing like groceries or something just for a little extra support boom all right so we managed that that patient where she went and bought a sling and she's going to use it as needed, and we're going to monitor it to make sure that bone is healing. If not, then we'll refer her back out. In the meantime, we still have to reach out to uh, her sports med doctor just to see what he saw and wanted to know why he took away the sling. But worst case there, we got her a sling part-time to use. There's no harm in foul. So that's what I was talking about in, in collaborating with the patient, communicating with the patient, and being able to help them course through the healthcare system without possibly overutilizing and sending her to another physician for, at this point, no, no real good reason other than the fact that you may not be comfortable with, with your decision-making skills at that point. And that becomes a you problem where you have to really reflect and ask yourself, what can I do better here? And what is somebody else going to do any better than I'm already going to do? So, uh, yeah. It's a great example. Um, and then again, I mean, we're trying to this, obviously this country has a problem with uh, medical cost. I, mean, I think we're the worst in the nation, worst in the world and still one of the unhealthiest uh, in the world, you know, doing things like that, you know, saves one, obviously the, the country, the world, but uh, to the, the client as well. And we're, we're making the appropriate decisions. And then again, probably, potentially you know you're obviously saving a, a good relationship and then potentially unnecessary treatment so yeah and, it, and it's job. being able to treat those you know we talk about you know green flags yellow flags there's blue or black flags red flags, orange um and yeah orange i was gonna say thanks for saying that there um i got that from uh, cam mcdonald over at the regis fellowship program and it's like what are we doing with those those flags aren't quite red, but they're not quite, you know, yellow. Can we modify it? Can with the course of some time, those, those potential red flags, you know, fracture in this case, transition to, to more of a green flag with some time, with some appropriate management and understanding of some, some healing time factors and not always rushing to, we need an x-ray or an MRI and things like that. And, and take into account all the things we learned in, MPT school, uh, in this case, he, you know, bone healing. 
Yeah. So that should probably be a maybe another discussion one day is the the flags and kind of recognizing these sort of things. Uh, I think that might lead to a good discussion there. But uh, yeah, anything uh, anything else we can talk about? I think we kind of hit the points of you know maybe some things people can do to try and improve their uh, I guess direct access uh, confidence. Uh, hope our hopes for it and things this might have to open up to an, another discussion one day but anything else that you want to kind of chip in there yeah I, I think you know just to kind of circle back around we or you know we as a profession we as clinicians need to really sure up what it is that we're looking at being able to sure up our evaluation process and knowing mm-hmm. what to look for don't get me wrong some of that stuff takes some time and experience to see it you know, see see how, you know, the, the goods and the bads when people progress or don't progress. Uh, but some of that definitely comes to be educating yourself, um, you know, whether it's, you know, you just want to read a textbook or you take a course or you get mentorship or whatever the case is to help you understand how to manage things differently. So, you know, not always pulling that trigger. And I'm going to ha- kind of end it with, you know, these people that, or the clinicians that want to open their own practice and yeah, great. You're, you're maybe you're doing it across the gym or you have your own little like room you're renting out or whatever. Like when you're first starting out and especially if you're going cash or whatever, like you need to be able to have trust in yourself and have, and that trust. And I, I think that confidence in yourself comes with knowing how to manage something. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't always be so quick to, refer somebody out if you're getting stuck with a case I, I think that's where you really have to reflect on yourself and double down on some assessment or evaluative um skill sets to be able to say all right this is hard the pace is not progressing where we want to it doesn't mean this person now needs to go to a surgeon to get an injection where the you know or tell i, I hear this all the time and i hate it where you send a patient back who's not maybe progressing right away within the first week or two or is possibly irritated and that the primary care physician or that sportsman doc is like, okay, stop PT right now. We're going to give you an injection. And, and then now, now that you're delaying not only the person's ability to get better, but now you just kind of took, you showed the patient that you didn't know what you were doing. So what is mm-hmm. that? What, how does that re- reflect on yourself as a clinician? And now you took money out of your own pocket because instead of seeing, you know, ideally, I guess you're hoping you, you think you're doing right. Oh, I'm sending this patient back because I don't know it. And uh, the, the surgeon is going to say, continue PT while we do this. Or a lot of times or maybe sometimes that that patient's not going to come back because that that doctor maybe lost confidence in you or they think PT is bad because, I mean, surgeons don't know or sports med docs don't know primary care physicians don't know what pts can do some do mm-hmm. don't get me wrong but as a whole they don't and you know it, it, it kind of comes for a circle like you're you're, you're kind of sabotaging yourself in some ways and um yeah i i don't know I, I just think you need to really double down and being able to uh you know ride out some of the the waves sometimes and then being able to reflect and sharpen up your your evaluative skills evaluative skills so. mm-hmm yeah, especially as what you were saying before is like a lot of these, you know, orthos and stuff, it's pretty much at this point, most ortho places have their own PT clinics within 
I, I would think most do. Maybe not the small ones, but most of them do. And at those places, obviously, there is no direct access. And, you know, those places may tend to be a little bit more higher volume in those sort of things there. And, be, and they follow directly what the surgeon says or ortho says. And, you know, they, again, they don't know exactly what our capabilities are. Um, it's not well advertised. It's people still believe that we're modality monsters and that's pretty much it. You know, a lot of the things can be done at home or hell, a lot of these, you know, orthopedists have just like sheets of paper. It's like, okay, uh, they have a little herniated disc. Here's the McKenzie extension. Oh, it's stenosis. Let's give, you know, flexion-based exercises and stuff like that. And that's not what works for everyone. We need to be able to kind of, you know, show that to other professionals and that we can be the ones that take the time to figure things out. And what you're saying is those, kind of trickier cases that you have to write out you know find someone who's a mentor you know even if it's distance based i have a um someone i met at csm who is a travel therapist that works in outpatient ortho clinics every 13 weeks it's a different one but when it gets to a tricky case he calls me up and we'll have like a hell i'll I'll go through most of his caseload you know just talking to him just like uh, in situations where he's like should i refer out i'm like you know why don't you play did you look at this you know play around with these sort of things and that way you know once a lot of times i'll I'll follow up like how did that patient do oh that patient got better or or i found something else and that patient got better you know then you're adding to your repertoire for the next client that comes in that has similar things that was once looking kind of scary or tricky now it doesn't look so scary or tricky anymore and then that enhances that kind of primary practitioner abilities of yourself so um again you just kind of have to stick it out with things and obviously you know definitely know your red flags and things and obviously don't take one red flag and be like, oh my god you know they have hyperreflexia it's time to refer out yeah. you know a lot of these things there's clusters to do that and you know presentation of the patient is huge mm-hmm. you know knowing these things you know again you know let's try and get people in and start people make people realize that we are their best option for you know their pain their musculoskeletal mm-hmm. pain yeah well well said and while you were talking um you sparked a i guess a pet peeve of mine is when you know you're talking about those clinic clinics that are owned by uh by physicians or the physicians have pts at uh built within and it's not all of them but whether it's that or in general when pts say oh i i like a I like a protocol i need the post-op protocol i need the protocol by a physician like we are not techs use your brain we're autonomous um you know, if hypothetically, let's just say you get a script or a protocol from a surgeon and you follow it to a T and there is some adverse effect that negatively affects the patient, you are not going to be able to say, oh, I was just following the protocol. That's not going to hold up in court. You are your mm-hmm. own profession. You're your own provider. You need to do your own like assessment and think through and reason, especially now as a doctor of profession. A lot of these protocols, you know, were, are just there as a guideline and a piece of paper, and you need to be able to assess the patient individually and, and treat them accordingly. Um, so, you know, I, I've had patients or PTs like 
I don't know, get hung up on like, oh, I need to learn how to follow protocols. You're not a tech. You don't need to follow protocols. Like you, you need to evaluate the patient and, and treat what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that goes into some of the autonomy of our profession as well. I, I think people, you know, I'm not saying totally blatantly disregard protocols. That it's a guideline and there's some, maybe some general timelines you need to follow. Mm-hmm. You know, ACL patient, you're not doing plyos, you know, day one. But, <laughs> you know, you're following a, a, a timeline, but you're able to uh, make the changes when, as, as need fit. Yep, and kind of, we've talked about before using that impairment-based approach or, again, specific to the client because yeah, that you're sure as hell not getting that in a protocol. Um, you know, it's not catered to, or these, I want to spark up another conversation, but these app based physical therapy, they're like, we're reinventing physical therapy on, on an app, which can't check for form, can't check for compensations. It's not specific to the client. It's based off of their diagnosis or their, their surgery, which is, you know, even like things like patellofemoral pain syndrome or low back pain, it's not, you know, cookie cutter for anyone. So that's where your skill and your evaluative uh, techniques and stuff is going to determine what's best for that patient. And again, we have that time to determine that. Um, so we just need to actually go about doing it. Yep. But, uh, All right. Well, we'll end there. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be off. good. Uh but um, I guess to kind of end things as always, um, if you have any questions you know, or anything like that, or want to talk more about direct access or being primary practitioners or how implement it into your own practice, you're trying to kind of get away from your classic physician referrals, feel free to reach out to us. We're at Manips and Sips. Uh, Brandon's at Think Like a Fellow uh, and uh, per- at Pursue PT Now. I'm at The Decent Doctor and at uh, Trifecta Therapeutics. Uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to us or give us some advice or any feedback like that. And uh, But until then, uh, cheers, everyone. All right. Take care, guys. See you soon.